I apologize that you have to listen to me so much today, but uh, we'll, we'll try to make the best of it, okay? I, uh, I used to do this every week, uh, years and years back, and it's been a little while, so I might be slightly rusty, but I'm excited to get a chance to share with you from the Word. Um, I was known in the past that oftentimes I would just kind of walk all over the room as I was talking, and Steve, I'm going to respect you, you know, for handling the camera up there. I'm not going to do that to you, all right? I'll, uh... So, Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. Your word is our life. Your word is our light. It shows us how to go. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you now that you would lead us and guide us. I pray that the words that are from Dan will be deleted, and I pray the words that are from you will be accentuated and amplified. Lord, open our hearts. Speak to us, teach us, help us to be able to hear what you'd say today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've been, um, I had something in mind that I wanted to talk about this week, and I've been preparing and getting ready for it. And then about last week, um, I've been going through the book of Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, and I came across a passage, and it's just like, you ever have one of those passages, like you're reading in the Bible, and all of a sudden, bing, 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 you're, you're, you're just like, there's something there. There's something there. And this is, and this is what happened to me. And I kept digging in and I kept realizing, I think, I think we're going to go there. So let me just set this up. This is Second Chronicles 28, um, beginning at verse eight. And I'm talking about the issue of unity in Christ. Um, we're at a day and age in our nation where unity is something that we could probably do a lot of work on to really make it happen because there's, there's forces that are trying to divide us. And so, um, there's a picture here in this passage. The armies of Israel, let me set the stage. There's two different nations, Israel and Judah. We'll get into them a little bit more specifically. They're brother nations. They started out together, but then they separated. But it says the armies of Israel captured 200,000 women and children from Judah and seized tremendous amounts of plunder, which they took back to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord named Oded was there in Samaria when the army of Israel returned home. He went out to meet them and said, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, was angry with Judah, and he let you defeat them. But you've gone too far, killing them without mercy, and all heaven is disturbed. And now you're planning to make slaves of these people from Judah and Jerusalem. What about your own sins against the Lord your God? Listen to me and return these prisoners you've taken, for they are your own relatives. Watch out. Because now the Lord's fierce anger has been turned against you. So the warriors released the prisoners and handed over the plunder and the sight of the leaders and all the people. Then the four men came forward and distributed clothes from the plunder to the prisoners who were naked. They provided clothing and sandals to wear, gave them enough food and drink, and dressed their wounds with olive oil. They put those who were weak on donkeys and took all the prisoners back to their own people in Jericho the city of Palms, and then they returned to Samaria. So just to kind of lay out the story there, you have the northern kingdom. They went to war against the southern kingdom. That was by God. God gave them a right to defeat them because of Judah's sin, but they went too far. They captured 200,000 women and children to take them back home and to make them slaves. The prophet said, nope, 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 nope. You don't have that authority. You had authority to win the battle, but you don't have authority to do this. This is pushing it too far. You're going to bring God's judgment on you because of this. So they had compassion. And there's interesting things. These people from Samaria, they 
They fed them, they clothed them, they bandaged their wounds. They took them by donkey into, into Jericho and left them there so they could go back home. Jericho was kind of like a border city between Samaria and Judea. And I thought, I thought about this story and I thought, boy, this is sounding really familiar. Do any of you notice anything familiar about that story to another story? I, this, this is something that I do. I notice patterns. Like when I'm reading scripture, I notice patterns. It's like, okay, if I see a similar pattern, especially like the way the words are structured or um, the, the theme, and I see it in another place, to me there's a link. There's a link. That's there for a reason. So I want to take you to a, a, a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 10. To set the context, uh, Jesus had asked a man, um, what's, what are you supposed to, what's the most important commandment? You know, the, this is one of the religious leaders that came to Jesus and tested him with a question. And Jesus asked him, what's the most important commandment? And the man answered, and this is in Luke uh, 10, 27, said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Did we lose the slides there? I guess I'm on my own now, huh? <laughs> um, so the guy answered, okay, right. Or Jesus says, right, do this and you will live. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, okay, well, who's my neighbor? So Jesus replied with a story. He said, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, yes, go and do the same. Now, do you notice some similarities between those stories? Because I noticed quite a few. Samaria, Jericho, that's the city that they were left in, carrying them off on donkeys, um, giving them food and water, bandaging their wounds, treating their wounds with olive oil. And then not only that, the guy, they, they leave them in Jericho and go back home to Samaria. There's a lot of similarities. Guys, these things don't happen by accident. Jesus was brilliant. He was the master storyteller of all time. He knew how to get a point across. And when, when Jesus told stories, there was always a whole lot more. That, that's the beautiful thing about, about Jesus' words and really about all of the Bible because all of it's God's words, right? Is there's so many levels. You know, you can treat it on a certain level and, and, and learn, okay, it's good to be kind to our neighbors, but it goes deeper than that because Jesus was intentionally connecting them to this story back in Second Chronicles. And to understand why, um, I just want to walk through the history of Israel. So I'm going to do the Old Testament in about 60 seconds, okay? 
Here we go. So God called Abraham and he said, I want you to bless all of the world. Through Abraham, God created a nation, the nation of Israel. God brought them out of Egypt into this land that they had. They lived in this land and it, it came to its peak about the year 1000 when David was the king. And you have David and Solomon and there's a great kingdom. But after that, they got, they divided, they separated. So one kingdom went to the north was Israel. One kingdom went to the south and that was Judah. They were like brothers. Sometimes they got along and sometimes they fought. Sometimes they helped each other. Sometimes they hurt each other, just like all brothers, right? But after a while, God got so frustrated with the apostasy and the turning away from him that the northern kingdom did, that he had them captured by Assyria. They were, they were taken into captivity. They lost their land. About 200 years later, the same thing happened to Judah. Judah was captured this time going to Babylon. A little while later, Judah came back to the land And also, some people came back to the land in the northern part of Israel, which now is called Samaria. But here's the issue. So that was my 32nd or 62nd nutshell of the Old Testament. But but here's the issue. Um, When the people were captured and taken into Assyria, they were dispersed among the nations. We don't, we can't trace them. I've, I've searched. I've gone online and searched and tried to find out what's happened to the, to the 10 tribes of the northern kingdom. We don't know. They intermarried with the nations, and there's there's different beliefs out there, and some people believe that they went to Europe and went to parts of Asia, and like I've heard people say, the nation of Denmark, that's named after De- the tribe of Dan, the tribe of Dan. Well, I don't know. that. You know, there may be a little bit there, but um, they, they don't act Jewish, I can say that, <laughs> in Denmark. But we don't know. But they all came back to the land, and somebody was living in the land of Israel and Samaria, and they kind of practiced the Jewish religion, but not really. They, they, they followed some of the, some of the Old Testament law. And if you dig through in the book of Second uh, Kings, you'll understand a little bit why. Because since this is God's land, these other nations were living there. And God was punishing them because they weren't following him. And so they brought priests in to help teach these new interlopers on the land how to actually follow God. But here's the point. Whoever was there wasn't really truly genetically Jewish, and so they weren't really truly brothers and sisters, and yet there was a little bit of commonality in their religion, in their faith, and they became a bridge. Because, see, there's a theological problem that rises with this whole northern kingdom, and I want to show you what that problem is. We find this in Ezekiel chapter 37. This is one place. There are a whole bunch of other places throughout the Old Testament that this theme is going to come forward. It says, Ezekiel says, again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, take a piece of wood and carve on it these words. This represents Judah and its allied tribes. So that's the southern kingdom. Then take another piece and carve these words on it. This represents Ephraim and the northern tribes of Israel. So that's the, you get that southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. Now hold them together in your hand as if they are one piece of wood. When your people ask what your actions mean, say this to them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take Ephraim and the northern tribes and join them to Judah. I will make them one piece of wood in my hand. Then hold out the pieces of wood that you've inscribed so the people can see them. See, here are these two pieces. Now they're one. It says, give them this message from the sovereign Lord. I will gather the people of Israel from among the nations. I will bring them home to their own land from the places where they have been scattered. I will unify them into one nation in the mountains of Israel. One king will rule them all. I know that you think that I'm reading from the Lord of the Rings. It's not one ring will rule them all. It's one king, okay? 
One king will rule them all. No longer will they be divided into two nations or into two kingdoms. Okay, is anybody noticing a problem here? The Jewish people got so dispersed among all the nations, we won't have any way of knowing when this northern kingdom gets back into the land. We don't know who they are. And yet, Ezekiel's saying they're going to be one again. So what we realize when we look at this is that the people in Samaria who kind of had a common basis of part of their religion with the people in Judea, it's a proxy for the entire Gentile world. It's a proxy. What, What we see there is that God's plan, which was always to reach the entire world, he did it by intermingling them and using Samaria as a bridge to get from where Judah was to all of the world. Does that make any sense at all? And, and, and it's interesting because when you go back and look at that story that I started with where the people of, of Samaria had captured all the people of Israel and then they returned them, that's the last thing that happened between the two nations before the northern kingdom went into Assyria. Isn't that fascinating? That's the last thing that happened to them. So the thing that was in the people's mind in terms of what the relationship between the north and south, and when they're looking at all of these prophecies like from the book of Ezekiel, you know, these prophecies about them being joined together, the last thing in their mind is this act of kindness that their enemies showed them. So then Jesus comes and tells this story about the Good Samaritan, and it's about an act of kindness that their enemy showed to a Jewish person. And there's a lot more. You could do several different sermons on the on the Good Samaritan because um, really when you dig into it, you realize that Jesus is the Good Samaritan. I mean, it even calls them despised. It says the despised Samaritan and then, you know, he was despised and rejected by men in Isaiah 53. And, you know, there's, there's a whole message that's there. I don't want to get too tied up into it, but let's think back to that, that, um, that thing about the two nations being joined together as one under one king. I want to look at John chapter 10, verses 14 through 16. This is in Jesus' good shepherd message. And he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. And then he says, I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Does that sound pretty close? That's kind of like two pieces of wood that become one, and they have one king that rules over them. So Jesus is saying, I got other sheep. They're not you. You're my sheep, but there's other sheep too, and you're going to come together. There will be one flock and one shepherd. You know, those last verses, last eight words there, there will be one flock and one shepherd. I think you can make a case that that is the story of the entire Bible. That is the story of the entire Bible. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose. Yes, he created a nation that was supposed to be unique and distinctive. He He had them descend from Abraham. He gave them a very specific set of laws and rules. And all of this was to help them understand God's holiness, God's love, God's power, God's righteousness. We have battle after battle throughout the Old Testament where we learn warfare. We learn how God fights on our behalf. We learn all kinds of incredible things. But the plan was always always to reach the whole world. Ephesians chapter one um, talks about this in, in a different way. Paul says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. So here's God's plan. You want to know what God's plan is? 
You know what it's plain? Here it is, right here. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and earth. There will be one flock and one shepherd. They will be ruled over by one. So this is God's plan to bring everything together. God's plan is unity. God's plan is oneness. Now, if we look at the world that we live in today, that isn't really what we see, is it? We see nation against nation. We see race against race. We see tribe against tribe. We see person against, we, we see it in the families. We see a brother against sister. Or, 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 I mean, there's a lot of division in this world, isn't there? It's going to take a really, really mighty God to be able to take this much division and turn it into unity, isn't it? That's one of the things I love about God. He doesn't just solve little problems. He does solve little problems. I don't know about you. I mean, there's times when I can't find something and I'll pray and ask God where it is. And, and, and it's, it's, it, it's not just a statistical anomaly that I find them as often as I do. Prayer works, okay? God cares about little things. He cares about all of the details of our life. But he solves big problems. I don't know about you, but I feel like we're, we're looking at some big problems in our nation right now. And... um. When you think about racial unity, when we think about racial division, in the Bible, it's this relationship between Israel and Samaria and this relationship between Israel and the Gentiles. That's, that's the division. And yet God's plan has always been to bring them together. And, and it's interesting because, you know, we talked about the Samaritans and Jesus told this story to remind people of that story back in the Old Testament and to bring that back into the, into, into the center of their thinking. But there's a whole bunch more. Remember in John chapter four, they went into a city in Samaria and the, the, the disciples went to get some food and Jesus sat up there and he began talking to a Samaritan woman by the well. Remember that story? And the disciples came out and said, uh, why are you talking to her? We don't talk to them. <laughs> we don't do that. We don't. And, and Jesus rebuilt the bridge. Jesus rebuilt the bridge. And, and, and it turns out she was incredibly responsive to him, right? Not only was she responsive, she went and told her town. And they all came out. And there was really, in the book of John, that's the biggest harvest that you ever see is in that particular town, Samaritan town. These people that... You know, the Jewish nation itself wouldn't have any desire to reach, but Jesus did because he created a bridge. He created a bridge. You see that bridge continue in the book of Acts. If you remember Acts, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he, he tells them, you will be my witnesses. Can you remember where? In Jerusalem and Judea. What's next? In Samaria and to the ends of the world. And if you look through the book of Acts, they start out in Jerusalem and around there in Judea, and then because of persecution, they get scattered. It's like they, they, they didn't realize that their job was to go elsewhere, so they kind of stayed where they had a really, really neat little Christian thing starting to grow, and God, God wanted them out. He wanted them out, so he scattered them. Guess where the first place they went? Acts chapter 8, first place they went was Samaria. Samaritans began receiving Jesus, coming into the family, um, you start to see a unity. I, I can't remember exactly the verse. It's in, it's in Acts chapter 9 that talks about the church in Judea and Samaria. You, you see unity just in those words. And it's after that that they start to reach the Gentiles. And with the Gentiles, God actually had to give Peter a dream. Remember that story? 
Um, you know, there was this dream. He was going to go to a Gentile leader named Cornelius. And, and um, before he could go there, God had to give Peter this vision. And he saw this vision of the sheet coming down from heaven with all kinds of foods on it that Jews aren't supposed to eat. And God says, take and eat. And Peter says, no, 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 I don't do that. I'm a good Jew. And, and God says, no, take and eat. Don't declare unclean what I have declared clean. And God did this to show Peter that the Gentiles were now clean. That's what he did. Well, guess what? They didn't need, they didn't need a dream to reach the Samaritans. They didn't need that because of that commonality. And I'm, the, the place I'm going here is that if we want to build bridges, between divided parties. And we can be talking about race or we can be talking about all kinds of different things. Politics. Um, there's just a lot of divisive things in the world today. Football teams, whatever. You know, I, I hope that I don't have to always hate Patriots fans. But, but, but they cheat, you know. <laughs> okay, so we got to find our common ground here. We got to find our common ground. You know, this whole story, if you look at the book of Acts, you, you find that it, it centers around Acts chapter 15, where they had a council that was called together to ask this question, what do we do with the Gentile believers? Are they just going to become Jewish Christians or do we, you know, I mean, there, there was a difficult question that they were wrestling with. And, and that question was answered by the realization that God is for everybody. Jesus is for everybody on their terms. On their terms. It's, it's God's terms because there's no way to get to heaven except by God. But God reaches us as individuals. God reaches us as cultures. When we look in the, in the book of Revelation, when we see this incredible picture of heaven, we see that there are people there from every nation and tribe and tongue. God honors our distinctiveness forever. Forever. Distinctiveness does not mean we have to be different. Well, we're different. It doesn't mean we have to be divided. Distinctiveness does not mean division. There's a unity possible. Paul kind of sums up a little, these things that we learn in the book of Acts. I want to fairly quickly look at a couple passages. Um, one is in Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 26. It says, for you are all children of God. And, and Paul's writing to Gentiles here. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. Okay, he's talking to Gentiles, okay? He's telling them they're true children of Abraham. You're his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. He says it again in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, he says, beginning at verse 11, says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. That's a very sad place to be, isn't it? excluded. And, and other nations realized that there was something special about the nation of Israel. At least some of them did. I mean, that was the plan. That was always the plan. You go back to the book of Deuteronomy. God said, you know, you're going to follow these laws and I'm going to bless you. And all the surrounding nations are going to see that there's something unique and special about this God of Israel. So people saw that, but no, nope, no, nope, unclean, unclean. Don't want anything to do with you. So they were excluded 
from citizenship. They were without hope, without God. Going on, it says, but now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near through the blood of Jesus. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. Does that sound like two sticks getting put together to make one? Does that sound like two two, um, flocks of sheep getting brought together to be one flock? Same thing, right? He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. You know, this unity is only possible through one source. Class, anybody want to guess who the one source is? (laughs) The unity is only possible through Jesus. Only possible through Jesus. If we're trying to solve some of the problems that our nation, unfortunately, still hasn't solved in terms of racial harmony, in terms of racial justice, and we're trying to do it without God's way, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's not going to help. It may make things worse. So to set the stage, I want to just ask the question, what, what caused this division between the Jews and the Gentiles? I'm going to kind of try to go through this. There, there are really three things. Um, you know, and I'll just list them right off the bat. One is genealogical superiority. They, the Jews were proud because they were descended of Abraham. And that's what made them special. You know, and, and God gave them all these clean laws and stuff. The second is religious superiority because they had the Old Testament law. And the third is vocational superiority because they were supposed to be a guide to the blind. So let me back up a little bit. So genealogical superiority, it turns out that that wasn't all that good like they thought it was, because it turns out if you don't actually have your heart transformed by God, you're not really a true Jew. So it says in Romans 2, 28 to, 21, 28 to 29, for you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. Okay, so the genealogical thing, that's out. That's out because they couldn't live it. They couldn't live it. And that takes us to the next one, the religious superiority, the Old Testament law. They were proud of their law, right? Romans 2, 23 says, you're so proud of knowing the law. But you dishonor God by breaking it. If you don't obey God's law, you're no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And on the other hand, if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? So if our superiority is based upon our religion, and we can't practice it adequately, then that doesn't work either, right? That's no longer a barrier. The third one is vocational superiority. And and this is the idea that God called the nation of Israel to be a light to the Gentiles. And I I have a verse here that I didn't put up there, but but I'll I'll read it first. This is Exodus 19, uh, 5 through 6, where God is speaking to Israel, and he says, Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdoms and my priests, my holy nation. So that's God's calling for Israel. That's what makes them special, because God's chosen them to be a light to the whole world, right? 
Well, first of all, they didn't do it. This is back to the whole failures of the Old Testament law. They didn't do it. But second, God says the same thing to Christians in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So again, this special commission that God had for the people of Israel, he's given to Gentiles now. So all of these things that would cause division, they're chopped down, aren't they? Is there any good reasons left for division? Is there any good reasons left for superiority? There's not. We can apply this to the issues that we are thinking about today, can't we? There are no good reasons. There are no good reasons for anyone to have an attitude of superiority to anyone else. There are no good reasons. I want to look at what caused the unity, the common ground. Because whether they're Jew or Gentile, there are certain things that are true of everybody who comes to faith in Jesus. Number one, common ancestry. You're the true sons of Abraham. It says in Acts 17, 26, from one man, God created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. So we're all, we all have common ancestry, right? All of us. And actually, um, if, if you trace, I, I, because I'm a nerd, I'm, I'm reading a book right now on genealogical ancestry, because that's what nerds do. Um, and in and, and this, it, 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 this is written by a Christian, and he's, he, he, but he's a scientist, and, and he's trying to, to build a bridge because he doesn't think that the mindset of evolution is really, it, it doesn't have to be at odds with the Bible. And he, he's done a lot of research, and not just him, but many others. But what, what they've discovered is fascinating. He says that everybody in the entire world, when you think back to our genealogical tracing, you know, when I'm passing down my genes, I only give half of them to each kid, right? If I got, you know, whatever, a thousand genes, you know, each kid gets 500 of those and they pass on 250 of them and they pass, you know, it keeps getting, sm- if we're looking at genetics, we really don't end up making a difference 20 generations down the road. But genealogy is the opposite. I have two parents, four grandparents, eight great grandparents, 16, 32, it keeps going on, going on, going And when you sit down and run the numbers and run the math, it turns out that everybody in the world, no, seriously, everybody in the world right now is descended from the same person. Even if you don't believe the Bible, gene- genealogy proves it. Even, even those parts of the world that spent many, many hundreds, if not thousands of years in separation and isolation. And here's what they say, that um, it, it, you go back about two to 3,000 years, and there is a common ancestor somewhere in there for everybody in the world. So somewhere between the time of David and the time of Jesus, there is some human being who is an ancestor for every single one of us in the room. But you want to go further? You go back about 4,000 years, and Everybody that was alive in the world 4,000 years ago who passed on descendants is an ancestor to every single one of us. I don't know about you, but that's beautiful to me. That's beautiful to me. There's no reason for genealogical ancestry hatred. Uh, Number two, common problem is sin. Um, I think we know this. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. Death spread to everyone. We all have this in common, right? We're all sinners. Number three, common failure is that we can't attain our righteousness on our own. We can't. 
Romans 3 says, well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we've already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, all are under the power of the sin. Scriptures say there's no one righteous, no, not one. Number four, common solution, and that's faith. Faith in Jesus. Romans 3.23, this is bad news. For everyone is sinned, so we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of sins. So the common problem is sin. Common issue is that we can't attain righteousness on our own. Common solution is the faith in Jesus. Common evidence is the Holy Spirit. When God went to the Gentiles in, in Acts chapter 8 and 9, um, Peter went and prayed for them and they received the Holy Spirit. Same way that the Jews did in Acts chapter 2. In Acts 11, it, when they went to the Gentiles, Actually, Peter is speaking, you know, speaking about his time when he went to the Gentiles. He says, as I began to speak to Cornelius, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us in the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So think of, um, remember in, in, in Ephesians 4, it says, one Lord, one faith, one God and Father of us all, one baptism. There's a lot of reasons for common ground, aren't there? But the common ground is in Jesus. Common ground is in Jesus. Now, so I've kind of given a little bit of background. I, I, I've tried to, to give you a theological basis, you know, whether I succeeded or not. I don't know. You have to judge that on your own. But, but I want to get practical because the question is, okay, how, how do we apply it to the world that we live in? And, and you know, the, the racial injustice that unfortunately still exists, the, the tension that exists on so many other fronts. How do we apply it? And, and I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, oh, man, there's so much in Romans. Just go through the whole book of Romans. But then I was looking, and I was thinking, oh, man, there's so much in Galatians. There's a lot. There's a lot that do. And, and that, oh, I have but Ephesians, you have this. And then, and then I was looking at James and, and in First John. And I could make this really brief and short and say, look, guys, just read the Bible and do it. <laughs> read the Bible and do it, and we're going to solve every single problem that's out there. And, and if, if the problems aren't, this is something that I believe, that the problems that our country faces are the result of unfinished business that the church didn't do in previous generations. That's what I believe. I, you know, and I believe no matter what issue, you know, whether you're talking about gender confusion, um, whether you're talking about race, whether you're talking about poverty, um, I mean, really, all of the issues that face us, it's because we got sidetracked. We, we didn't spend enough time knowing this, knowing this book, and living by it. And, and, and honestly, man, it's that easy. Just look, just read this book and do it. Every day, just read this book and do what you read. If we did that problem solved, you know, I mean, it might take a couple years, but we'll get there. I, I want to just emphasize a couple of key things um, that I think are really instrumental. Um, number one is, how do we apply it for today is move close to Jesus. If we move close to Jesus, then we're going to be close to each other, right? If, 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 if you, you, can't, you can't be walking with God in close fellowship and, and, and hate your brother, can you? You can't. And, and it says that in, in, First John 4 says, we love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person's a liar. 
For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he's given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. You know, if, if you come across a Christian who talks a great Christian talk, but doesn't have love for other people, I'm going to tell you something. Christians not spending time in, at the feet of Jesus. They're not spending time in the word and in prayer. Now, we all got blind spots. I do too. We all have unfinished issues. I do too. And sometimes, sometimes it takes a little while to work through those. But the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you're going to get to that. I mean, isn't that pretty good logic there? You know, think of the whole triangle thing, you know. If you're far apart and there's Jesus up there, you know, when we move to Jesus, we're going to be closer to each other, right? Okay, number two. See people from God's point of view, not the human point of view. I think this is one of the big issues. We try to judge things from a human standpoint. We, we try to evaluate people based upon what we've been told, whether it's our parents or our culture, or our teachers or our pastors or our pop culture leaders or, or, or whatever it might be. We, we, we judge from a human point of view, and, and the Bible says we can't do that. Second Corinthians 5 says we stop evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. That means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. So Lord, help us to see people from your point of view, right? When we do that, we're going to be drawn together, aren't we? Because Jesus was drawn to every person. Number three, allow God to reveal the deep hidden corners of our heart. These next two are really kind of tied together. But, you know, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. We don't even understand you know, I, I, I hear people talk about hidden racism, you know, and, and I, I, I think it's true. I, mean, I, I, you know, over the course of time, I've, I've realized that, um, look, I, I grew up in a part of the country where, you know, it was like 100% white people. So you don't, you don't have an awful lot of opportunities to try to, to try to learn how to build bridges and learn how to understand how other people think. And, and, and you know, and, and this goes both ways. This goes both ways. If we only see things from our perspective, sometimes we don't even realize that there's something that we say and do. So just quickly, Psalm 19 says, who can discern his own errors? I can't. That's why we have to pray. That's why verses like Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. These aren't just verses that we read. This is a process that we should do. This should be a normal part of our life is asking God, God, show me, show me, show me. Show me. Sometimes he shows us through other people because they tell us things and in our pride we say, nope, nope, not me. No, no, right? Right? I mean, sometimes God's speaking through other people. Of course, sometimes, you know, they're only working out their own unresolved issues when they dump it on us. And so that's why we got to listen to God. Let me keep moving quickly. I don't want to keep you here all afternoon. Well, yeah, I do, but. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Number five, make yourself a servant to all people. Make yourself a servant to all people. For, I love this passage in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says, I've become a slave. To, and I've kind of skipped some sections. So, um, you know, just to make it a little bit less wordy for the slide. But it says, I've become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I'm with the Jews, I live like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I'm with the Gentiles, who do not follow the Jewish law. I live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with those who are oppressed, I share their oppression. I want to bring them to Christ. And I try to find, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news. That's, I mean, th- this is where it comes down to. Our purpose here, we have one primary purpose and everything else descends from that. 
That purpose is to reach people for Jesus. And if Jesus loves every single person, then I can't allow a divisive thought or attitude in my heart keep me from loving them as well. But it also, this is also talking about a bridge because you have to actually, you have to actually listen. You have to actually listen to understand people. You know, Paul talked about jumping cultural barriers. You know what a huge barrier that was for him to break kosher Jewish laws as a person who was a Pharisee in order to reach Gentiles? This was big. This was big. And I think God calls us as individuals to be willing to bust through cultural barriers in order to become like one another in order to reach. Uh, Number six, be quick to listen and slow to speak. James 1 says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I wish there was more of that going on right now in our country because I feel like people are very, very quick to speak and very, very slow to listen. My grandma used to say, God gave us two ears and one mouth, so we should be doing at least twice as much listening, right? That's, what, that's the type of thing grandmas say, isn't it? None of us knows as much as we think. And look, I'm guilty. I'm a talker. I know. Do you, do you want to deny that, Debbie? <laughs> I'm guilty. I know. This is a calling to listen. Number seven, bless, 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 bless others. It's not by coincidence that we started introducing this song about the blessing. Because this is who we should be. We should be people of blessing. We should be people of blessing. Matthew 5, Jesus said, You've heard that the law says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives the sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Guys, what would this be like if we spend our days every day blessing others? If every person that we contact, we bless. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. The Lord show you his mercy and give you his peace. What if the deepest prayer of our heart was for God's favor to rest upon the person that we're talking to and their children and their children and their children to a thousand generations? I think that could erase an awful lot of things. Look, we live in a world that is still reeling from the influence of a curse. Ending slavery did not end the curse. We know that. It did not end the curse. People still maintained it in their hearts. People still said things that they shouldn't have said. People still carry out actions that they shouldn't carry out. We can reverse that because the blessing is more powerful than a curse. A blessing, you know, the curses go to the third and fourth generation. Blessings go to a thousand generations. I don't know, somebody want to do the math real quick? What is that, like 300 times more powerful? Whatever, (laughs) right? And I think that's just a, you know, I mean, there haven't even actually been a thousand generations in the history of the world. So I think it's giving us an infinite number. Blessings are more powerful. Blessings are more powerful. So God, as a white man, even though I wasn't there, even though thankfully my family wasn't involved in that, 
as a white man, I speak to every black brother and sister, and I speak blessing. I revoke curses that have been spoken and carried out in the past. I revoke them in the name of Jesus. I speak blessing. May the Lord bless you. Keep you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his mercy and give you his peace. May your prosperity going forward go to a thousand generations and your children and their children and their children and their children. Lord God, help us to be people of blessing. Help us to be people. The power of life and death is in our words. Lord, let us not listen to curses. Let us not listen to false verdicts. Let us not listen to judgments that are not true. The only thing that is true is your word. Your word. Your word. Let's live by it. Let us bless. Let us bless. Let us be agents of blessing. Agents of unity. Lord, we thank you for your presence in our midst. We thank you that there is hope. We thank you that this was your plan all along. Unity. This was your plan all along. We thank you that no problem is so big that it can't be solved by you. You specialize in humongous problems. We thank you. Because a lot of times it seems like the problem has to get so big that it seems impossible. We have to be standing at the edge of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army crashing down upon us for you to get to the point where you act. But you do. This is your plan. This is your word. Lord, we lift up the nation of America. We pray that you will heal our past wounds. We pray that you will help us to genuinely love one another, genuinely seek the good of one another, genuinely seek to understand and build up one another, genuinely seek to celebrate the uniqueness of each culture that you brought here in this melting pot of the world. We have such an incredible opportunity to demonstrate heaven here on earth because people have come here from every nation and tribe of the earth. They're here. Lord, pour out your spirit upon this nation. Draw us close to you because we know when you're close to you, we will be close to others. Help us to always focus upon our calling to be a light to the world and to glorify you. Lord, I thank you for each one who's here. In the name of Jesus, I bless them. I thank you for each person who's watching. In the name of Jesus, 